Greetings. Welcome. This is Gary Rogowski for Splinters. Today's podcast is a reprise of one that I did, oh, a little bit more than a year ago called Stuck. So this one, of course, is called Stuck again. And it is the start of a book I'm still working on, trying to sell. So you publishers out there, just give me a holler. This is the preamble. The day showed itself as fair. What could go wrong on such a day as this? Let me tell you a story about a small boy and his dog. You know that small boys are liable to do some very silly things. They manage to get into trouble where no trouble can be seen just the moment before. The world is still and quiet. And if you were a god on high, you would look down on it and say, what could go wrong here in this paradise? And then a small boy and his dog appear. It was a late Saturday afternoon when the boy and his beagle dog, Jimmy, set off to walk home from the ball field. They only made this trek home together once a week as Jimmy's pace was, shall we say, measured on this stroll. He liked to sniff every corner and pole and puddle as he was a very thorough beagle that checked for messages. The sharp summer light had started to fall on this sweet day. It darkened the east side of the building walls and cast out deep pools of shadow, so it was time for the two to head on home. They walked straight down to the river, past the antique store and the auto parts house, past the noisy pub and some tents of the homeless. Would the river be clear and bright today or muddy with the recent rains, sullen and angry with its swollen self? You never knew with a river. A river could be different every day. You had to go see it to find out. The two walked down the slope with their feet, pulled down to the river just as easy as water flowing downhill on a sunny day. As they meandered, the dog kept learning of past footsteps and last week's meal wrappers dropped by other passers-by. Jimmy sniffed on puddles and bricks and sticks and sneakers. The boy, meanwhile, pretended that he was flying over the curbs that were as tall as mountains. They soared over these long stretches and then down off the curbs into deep canyons. They walked in shadows, so the boy knew now that he was too high in his airplane and the wings were starting to freeze up, so he pulled himself down in altitude and got over to the sunny side of the street and kept flying over the sidewalks and ravines. But then the beagle saw something, and he pulled the boy's hand so hard that they both leapt over to the corner of a building. He had to let Jimmy sniff what he needed to sniff. Jimmy scrambled over to the corner of a building that he snorted and snuffled for quite some time, learning about an incredible event in a message that had been left for him on the wall. The only response Jimmy could leave in return was to lift his leg and pee on it too. The small boy looked about, but then he thought better not to leave a message here as well. Bad form for a pilot to take his eyes off his flying, even for a short break. No, it was always best to keep making time. You just never knew when something might surprise you, so you better keep your eyes open if you were a pilot. The two explorers flew past the oily lakes in the street into the gutter canyon of glass and gravel up to the barren sidewalk desert. The young pilot looked up to see the heat shimmer and dance off the concrete up ahead. He also saw something beyond the desert that looked like a train, but he couldn't be sure. Maybe it was a mirage, so he put his head back down and kept flying over the mountains. After a few more ranges had been passed and the two had crossed several great canyons, the boy looked up again, and this time it was certain he saw no mirage. He looked up from his thoughts to discover a stop line of rail cars not 10 feet away from in front of them, large, quiet, stuck. 
They made a wall seven miles high, it seemed to the boy. He looked at the cars. They did not move under his steely gaze. Could they fly over this? He thought not. He waited for them to stir. The car stayed muted. He craned out his head and looked north as the tracks curved to the train yard. The cars were frozen all up north. He tipped his head and peered to the south. All clear and sunny. But yes, sir, a train sat glued there to the tracks. The boy and his dog walked right to the end of the desert sidewalk and stepped onto the rocky terrain of the track bed. Here the rocks were too big for the beagle to walk on, and the railroad ties had been set just too far apart for the boys to step on easily. Those train engineers had known a thing or two about small boys and dogs when they had laid these tracks out, that's for sure. It would be hard going trying to walk home alongside this train. The small boy sighted again up the tracks towards home. The line of the train arced off into the distance without moving. Train cars plunked there, waiting all the way up the tracks between the buildings and round the bend, and not a one of those cars wiggled. The small boy checked the other direction south again and saw the same thing. The train plopped down there without even a shimmy, not even a little bit, with cars as tall as houses and some flat and some empty, well, like this flat car right in front of him. The boy's eyes grew wide. Now, it, it had been some time, actually never, since he had sat on a flat rail car in the afternoon on a sunshiny day. This was the perfect opportunity for this adventure, he thought to himself. These tracks, and therefore the rail cars on them, sat raised up a foot or more off the rock bed that lined the roadway. In front of the boy and his dog loomed the long flatbed car. To the beagle, the boy pronounced, Jim, it's sunny here, and here's a flat car right in front of us. How about we get up there and have us a seat and look around? He eyeballed the flat car to see if it was going to be sneaky. It did not move. He observed the train up north. The car sat shadowed and still. He squinted south. All clear with the train stuck solid to the track. The boy wanted to be sure about this train. He lifted up the beagle as high as his shoulders and more and set him on top of the rail car. The dog immediately walked away to sniff around this new plateau they had claimed. Then the boy quickly grabbed a short ladder at the back of the car and got one leg up so high on the first rung that his knee pushed him in the face as he tried to lift up. He grabbed hold of those handles anyway and pulled himself up to the first step and clambered up to the dog. The boy found a spot with the sun on his back and sat with his bare legs swinging off the edge of the flat car. He looked back to the east to see if he could see the ball field from here, but all he saw were the buildings they had just walked past, rising above them. He didn't care. He felt pretty good sitting there with his dog by his side in the sunshine. He stared at the closest warehouse they had just passed. Its flat wall rose up before them, colored with various painted and flourished messages from the lost stray boys while trash and old clothes, tires and broken glass and empty bottles from the lost stray men lay splashed across the roadway, rocks beneath his feet. He knew it could be a rough neighborhood here, even during the day, so he had his eyes peeled wide open as they sat there. His legs dangled in the air, and he felt pretty good as he sat on the train. Jimmy sat by him wondering where his treat was for being so loyal, by the boy's side up there. The boy reached into his shirt pocket and found some lint there for the dog. Then he rooted around some more and found the tiniest crumb hidden in a deep corner. And he pulled it out and said to Jimmy, don't bite me. Jimmy bit him anyway, but only a little on his fingertips, just to remind the boy that he still had his teeth. Small boy swung his legs back and forth and looked up the tracks and down the tracks. Still no movement. He got up, walked across the car to the other side, and what did he see there? He saw another train. 
a train he hadn't even noticed when he got up on this first one. It was about six, eight, ten feet away. He had been so busy conquering the one train that he hadn't even noticed the second line of cars. He sat down on the flat car's wood planks to stare at the second train, and the dog followed him. But after a while, the beagle got bored and wanted to get down to the ground. He put his head down and moved his nervous paws back and forth like he was going to jump. This was not a good idea because it was all rocks down below them. Big rocks, and you didn't want to jump onto them and hurt yourself. And besides, the second train didn't have any flat cars on it. It was all giant boxcars, and it stretched out just as far as the first train in both directions, north and south. How could they get across the second train unless they... The small boy stopped and looked at the train. Unless, unless they went under the train. The small boy sat and sniffed the wind. Nope, nothing stirred here, he thought. The train he sat on kept still as night. The second train across from him mirrored the first. That train was also very tall, and maybe when he leaned out he could see that there was a flat car up ahead the line, but he couldn't be sure. If there was, they could walk down to it, climb aboard, and go over it. But going on the train was tempting. But you never knew about trains. Out here in the middle of a train line, they didn't have whistles like they did at the engine. At the engine, they would blow their whistles to let everyone know that they couldn't sleep anymore because the train was coming by. At night, the boy would listen to these whistles, and he wondered if the train engineer could blow whatever sounds he wanted. So if he wanted to sound sad, he could blow three notes all together at once to make a mournful sound. Oh, poor me. Or if he wanted to, he could blow two low, bold notes to tell everyone, get off the track, because a big mouthful of train is headed your way, so you better move. He wasn't sure. He was sure that they didn't have whistles in the middle of trains, only at the engine which he couldn't see or hear. So if the train was going to move, and they were under it, they would have to move fast or get crushed like a grape and a dog. The boy told Jimmy, hang on, mister. It was even farther down to the rocky ground on this side between the two tracks. Too high for him to jump off the flat car, so he found another ladder on the side of the car and hauled himself over and jumped down onto the rocks between the two giant trains. Jimmy waited for the boy to climb down, moving back and forth and side to side like the rail car boards were too hot for his paws, saying, Me too, me too, me too. The boy turned around and reached up for the dog as he leapt into his arms and he set the beagle down on the rocks. There they stood in a canyon of shadow made by those two lines of cars that stretched off north and south to the poles. He picked up the beagle's leash and they walked between the dark walls of this canyon they were in. That blue sky above got boxed in by the great walls. Up and down the tracks, the air was silent and still in the darkness of the buildings and of the giants they stood between. The boy listened to the quiet, the first train to his left, the second on his right as he looked south away from home. Two enormous rows of rail cars stretched out in the distance, and not a giant one of them whispered or stirred. The boy peered up the tracks and down, looking at the long pool of shadow made by the boxcars and the buildings, and nothing moved. He thought to himself, how great is it to be between two trains? He stood there and listened. Two giant rows of quiet cars. Bang! The train to his right jerked, and the coupler engaged, and the car that had sat cemented in front of them inched forward. Jim sniffed from about three feet away from it when another coupler clapped its grip, and two or three more of them banged and bucked enough to start the train to travel north. Then, bang, the car started to trot all at once like they had been pulling at their leash, and when the engineer said, okay, you can go now, they struggled and pulled as one like a wagon train or a dog sled, and they rolled slowly by, but by golly, they moved 
The small boy and the dog stepped back to let them go by. They couldn't go underneath this train as the boy wanted. That was for certain. And the flat car that he had jumped off of was too hard to get back up on from down there in that rocky gully between the tracks. He thought to himself as he sized up the situation, We're okay. We'll stand right here and we'll wait a little bit until this train goes by and we'll be okay. Bang! The first train now to his left popped to life. This one headed itself south, while the train to the boy's right barreled along north. And once that other line started, like it meant business, getting out of town, the small boy knew they were in a peck of trouble. No, a bushel of trouble. No, a boxcar of trouble, because that first train clattered along now with some speed, and the second train wanted to fly out of town. And they sat trapped between the two moving lines of boxcars, and there was no way out between them. The boy couldn't fly up because his airplane couldn't take off here, and the dog started to get antsy. The boy grabbed the beagle and picked him up because he knew the dog was starting to get scared. He wasn't scared. The small boy wasn't scared, but he knew the beagle might be scared. So he picked him up, and now the first train moved as fast south as the second train moved fast north, which when you're on a sidewalk and a ways away from the train, it seems to be moving, but not that fast. But the two of them were two feet away from one train and two feet away from another because it was the distance of the tracks that was far apart. But when they had cars on these tracks and the cars towered 20 feet into the sky and had big wide bodies and hung out over the tracks now, that distance became very small. And if you were in the middle of these cars that moved south and moved north and had a beagle in your arms, well, you weren't scared necessarily, but you sure had a lot to think about all at once. Small boy realized now how tight it could become between two trains. They started to move even faster, and when they did, they were making more and more noise, and The small boy got a little anxious himself because he was holding on to his dog for dear life because if the dog panicked and jumped and ran, he was done for. He held on to Jimmy and kept talking to the dog to calm him. I got you, Jim. It's okay. We're okay. We're good. You stay still. Stay here. We're okay. I got you. We'll be okay. We're okay. And the dog must have known what a spot they sat in because he lay very quiet in the boy's arms and did not stir. The boy held the dog's head right up to his own so he could talk to Jimmy easy, and the dog could hear him above the noise of the trains, and the boy could calm him down, but the trains were clacking by now with the rhythm in their wheels and axles, and the cars tipped back and forth as they moved fast north and south, and the boy knew he couldn't move an inch from his spot. He couldn't move at all for fear that he would get caught by a ladder or something sticking out from one of the rushing cars, or maybe he might slip on those big rocks, and if he slipped... He would lose the hold on his dog, so he kept himself ramrodded straight down to the ground. And he didn't inch at all while the cars kept coming and going from both directions and going and coming in the other directions without a stop. One car after another rolling north, one car after another heading south. Without stopping, they kept coming. How many cars were in a train, the small boy thought to himself. Whoosh! All of a sudden, just like the whooshing of the air out of a balloon, whoosh! like the opening of dark window blinds on a bright morning, whooshed like a train disappearing. The northbound cars to his right cleared the tracks and swooped their load out of sight, bound for glory, and were gone, and revealed the buildings that waited behind it with the most beautiful graffiti ever on them. Whoosh, and half the world sat quiet again, and the small boy and his dog could see the buildings, and there was nothing else on the tracks chasing this train going north, so he quick walked away from the southbound train, and the sunlight poured in onto the tracks, and the last boxcar shrank smaller away from them, 
and the small boy moved in as quick as he could across the tracks while the southbound train still clattered and bobbed and rocked. And he got the two of them across the tracks, and they made it to the sunny sidewalk and to the corner of the building. And he set the beagle down onto the concrete, and he whooped out a weak little whoop. The small boy tried to howl like a train whistle, but the sound kind of croaked out of his throat instead. Ooh, mister, we just dodged a bullet. That's something. We dodged a bullet, buddy. Woo-woo. It was the sound of a train that was sorely relieved and shaken. The beagle would have agreed, but he had gotten distracted because he found a note from some other dog on the side of the building that he had to pee on, so he was busy at the moment. The boy just wanted to get away as far away from trains as he could that sunny day. So he grabbed the beagle's leash, and they ran, and they ran, they ran across the street, dodging the cars because they knew how to get by cars, at least. And they ran down the gravel road all the way to the river. When they got there, the boy sat on the bank, and he let the beagle get a drink of water, and he just kicked his legs in the falling sunshine, and he looked across the water that slid past him. And he sighed, and he held his arms over his chest, and he said, Mister, that was something. Let's not do that again, okay? Life ain't much, but it sure is a lot. And so they walked home on a sunny day with the small boy remembering to stay out from between two trains because you never, ever knew when something big like that could get up and start to move and surprise you. And the beagle? Well, the beagle just wanted to get home and get another treat. God smiled and breathed a sigh of relief. Now, you may be wondering why I started my book on creativity with a story about being stuck between two rushing trains. It's not like that small boy needed to ponder long that he wanted out of that particular spot. But telling it reminds me that we can all put ourselves into some rough places sometimes. We stand there rooted to a position trying to make up our minds which way to go, and time rips by us like two clanging, banging trains headed in opposite directions. Remember that old Latin phrase, carpe diem? It does not mean fish of the day. Let's talk some now about being stuck in a life and what someone can do to help themselves into a better place. Well, that's the end of the preamble, and I'll talk more about this uh, idea of mine in the weeks to come. Anyways, it feels like we're we're stuck. Maybe some of us are are getting rolling again, but it's been a a long year. I hope you're all well and uh, vaccinated and ready to move on. Thanks very much for listening. Please check out our website, northwestwoodworking.com. Our online mastery program is still running. We'll have another group starting in the fall. So if you're interested, please uh, send me a note, ask for information. I'll send it out to you. Thanks for those of you who support me on uh, coffee, K-O-F-I.com. It's great to be able to do this for you. So stay healthy, stay well, take care of yourself and others, and uh, do good work. Adios. Thank you.